Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. So come on, let's get into the Word today. I am so excited about this new series we are starting today. If you're visiting for the very first time and you've never been to church before or uh, this is your first time here today. We are starting a book uh, on the uh, series on the book of Revelations. And, uh, you know, you might say, oh my gosh, this is insane. If you don't even know what the book of Revelations is, even better, because you're in for a great treat. Uh, but we're so excited today to start our, our, our series on the book of Revelations called Prevail. We have 10 weeks to accomplish this daunting task, and I might even push it out to continue into the fall because I just feel like this is going to be an amazing series for our church. But, you know, we live in a, a world of, of ongoing conflict and unrest. We live in a world where there are signs uh, in, 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 in the realities that we're facing that can cause a state of fear and even worse sometimes, hopelessness. But the book of Revelations is a way for you and I to understand and remember that we can confidently trust in the victory in Jesus Christ, that in the midst of the challenges and the midst of the controversies and the midst of the difficulties and the midst of the things that you and I will face, the world doesn't get any better. And we need to understand that from the get-go. So encouraging, huh? I'm glad I came. But guess what? As followers of Jesus Christ... We can remain steady and we can prevail no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what happens in our government, no matter what happens in our society, you know, whatever, no matter what happens in the world. When crazy things start to happen, you start to look, pinch yourself and say, what kind of world are we living in? I don't know if you've done that recently. I'm pinching myself and saying, what kind of world is this that we're living in? When things start getting nuts and crazy as they already have been, come on, we can know that you and I prevail because of Jesus Christ in our lives, that you and I prevail, the church of Jesus Christ prevails, we prevail. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to recognize that today, that we prevail, Jesus wins, the church of Jesus Christ will prevail despite what happens in this planet. And so we can know today that that is the reality. Many of us have read the book of Revelations. Many of us have never read the book of Revelations. Many of us skip the book of Revelations. Many of us skim the book of Revelations. Many of us read the book of Revelations and say, this is insane, they should make a movie about it, and they've attempted for the last 200 years, or 100 years, I guess, 50 years, 60 years. Every movie is about Revelations, by the way. <laughs> but when we just skip past it, I want you to know that it's impossible for me to cover every detail. It's impossible for me to get every nuance and every, I'm going to try my very best, but it's absolutely impossible. But the truth is there's such symbolism and imagery in this book and that it can make it challenging for us to understand. But I want to encourage you today, even the early Christians who read this letter did not understand it. Even John, while he was getting the revelation from Christ, often would say, what does this mean? What is that? Where are we? What's happening? So you are in good company today. If you say, man, Ryan Iverson, he's the expert on revelations. He's going to download the word from God from the oracle. That's not the truth. I am just as confused as you are. <laughs> and I am on a journey together. Together. So stay together. This is not a series for the masses. This isn't a series for another church. This isn't a series that I hope goes on the greatest podcast list or YouTube top favorites. This is a series for Love City Church. 
This is a series for you and I to go on a journey together to try to figure out what does this book mean for us today. And there are a lot of great books on Revelations. There's a lot of great series on Revelations, a lot of great speakers on Revelations. But I want to tell you today, we are going to listen to what God says to our church in this series. We're hearing the Lord together. We're reading this scripture together. We're journeying through this together. This isn't just about everyone hearing this book or us subscribing to all these other perspectives. We just want to say, God, what do you have for us as a church in this series together? And so there's something very important I want to see that made me want to do this series. The very first chapter, we'll read a little bit of verses in a moment, but it says this, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. And he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says for the time is near. When I read that, when I was just reading through scripture and I was struck by that, man, I want our church to be blessed. I want our church to be blessed, especially in today's day and age. I want our church to be blessed. And so we're going to be a people who try to understand through the the leading of the Holy Spirit what the book is trying to say so that we can understand it and we can listen to it and we can obey it. Why? Because the time is near. The time is near. There's a few things I want you to capture as we look at this book together. Uh, The first thing is this, is that Revelations is the most biblical book in the Bible. John, the author, uses hundreds of references, quotations from from the Old Testament. So you write, how do I understand the book of Revelations? Do I read a book by a commentary? Or do I... No, you just read the Bible. If you want to know the book of Revelations better, simply read the Old Testament. Because there's more scripture cross-references in the book of Revelation than any other book in the entire Bible. And John references hundreds of Old Testament passages. So if you want to understand the book of Revelation, don't read another author or listen to another thing. Just read your Bible. Get into the Old Testament. Start reading the Bible. Now, you got to shout me down today because some of you are kind of quiet. I know it's 930. It's nasty outside, but you need to shout me down. Online, you hit those emojis, okay? But just shout me down today, okay? Come on. It's hot in here. It's nasty outside. I'm preaching on Revelations. I need you to talk to me, okay? Come on. Revelations is the most biblical book in the Bible. How about this? There is no other book of the Bible that proclaims the gospel of Jesus like the book of Revelations does. No other book of the Bible declares the gospel of Jesus Christ like the book of Revelation. There is no other Bible where we can clearly conceive Jesus as he is right now. When we read the gospels, we see the Jesus who was. But in the revelations, we see the, the Jesus who is. And we are being revealed as we read the book of Revelations. It is about Jesus, written by Jesus, uh, from Jesus, that when you read the book of Revelations, you are reading the, the gospel and Jesus Christ. You are learning and experiencing a revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's my prayer, is that you would have a fresh revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Not who what your mama told you, not what the priest told you, not what you read about in a book, but you would experience an inspiration and a revelation of the Spirit of God by our Heavenly Father, that He would come and reveal Jesus to you during this series. This proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ like no other book. The book of Revelation shows us that there is more going on around us than meets the eye. Things are not as they seem. 
We will recognize in the book of Revelation that there is a lot going on that even with your natural eye, with your five senses, with all the data that you are experiencing across the world right now, take it all in with your sight, with your hearing, with your smell, with your touch, and recognize this reality as we start this series. Things are not as they seem. You look at the world right now and you say, oh my gosh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, yes, it is. And that's why we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because today we have to recognize something. Things are not as it seems. There is a supernatural world that is going on right now. And the book of Revelations will reveal to us that everything that's going on in our natural human history is all a part of the sovereignty of God. It's all a part of the great realities of who Jesus is. And the more Jesus reveals himself to us, the more there will be upheaval in the world. We recognize today that Jesus is revealing himself Really, the book of Revelations is the apocalypse of Jesus. Now, when you hear the apocalypse, you know, you think of, you know, all these different movies where everything freezes and everyone's trying to save their loved ones, you know, and, and uh, the rock is trying to save his family from the crumbling tower before the world ends. We think about the apocalypse and it causes intense fear. But did you know that when the, the, the first, the early church uh, uh, hearers and listeners heard the word apocalypse, it was not a scary word. The word apocalypse simply means the unveiling. It means to open up. It means to open, like if you were open a can of pop or to, to take a covering and to open up a covering, to reveal something. So when they heard that this was the apocalypse of Jesus, all they heard was, now I get to see Jesus in a new way that I've never seen him before. It's going to be revealed to me. There's a breaking forth of Jesus into our world, and I get to have a picture from Christ how he will break into our natural world. Things are not as it seems. And we see that in the book of Revelations, these people heard this, this, this book, they read it, and they were heard it from the person reading it to them, and they recognized that the more revelation that they had, of the, the more revelation of Christ, and the more revelation they experienced, the more they saw that there's more going on than meets the natural senses, the more our entire perspective on life changes. The way you read the news changes. The way you look on YouTube changes. What you see on social media changes. When you begin to recognize that there is more going on behind the scenes than meets the eye, and you begin to have a revelation of Jesus and recognize that we prevail, that Jesus Christ is victorious, you no longer look at the news cycle or look at all that's going on with confusion or disarray. You recognize, I don't understand all that's going on, but Jesus wins. I don't understand why it's happening this way, but Christ prevails. I don't know what's happening in this season or why this is happening or why that's happening. I have none of the answers, but all I know is this, the church of Jesus Christ prevails. Life is not as it seems. Something is going on behind the scenes. Here is the main undergirded theme of our entire series. We have to recognize that the book of Revelations is ultimately about radical discipleship. We will recognize through this book that Revelations is not a crystal ball intended to reveal to a select few of people how to escape the harsh realities of this earth. Rather, it is a down-to-earth manual on how to be a disciple of Jesus when we face the harsh realities. The book of Revelations is not about us getting out of trouble before it comes. We will not be yanked out of this scene. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't pull us out of trouble. He takes us through trouble. Never in scripture has Jesus pulled anyone out of trouble. He helps them through trouble. Why? Because when you face trouble and circumstances, what does it do? It develops character. 
And as I develop character, I know Jesus better. And as I know Jesus better, I begin to experience maturity. And as I experience maturity, I experience the life God intended for me. So I'm here to tell you today, the book of Revelations is not a crystal ball to help you understand how to get out of this trouble that we're facing. The purpose of the book of Revelations is that you would be a radical disciple and that you would prevail when things are challenging. That's why we named this series the way we named this series. Because the word prevail literally means to prove more powerful than the opposing forces. The word prevail means to be victorious. We recognize that this is about radical discipleship. And Gordon Winham mentioned this about the book. Revelation remains a challenging and relevant book for us, not because it gives an outline for world history with special reference to our era, but because it shows us that Christ is in control of world history and we should live and pray and worship. In vivid, powerful imagery, it teaches us what it means to believe in God's sovereignty and justice. So come on, let's just quickly read uh, in the uh, book of Revelations here this morning. We're just going to read several verses just to get our minds wrapped around the first book, the first chapter, and then we're going to get back into the first chapter next week. It says this. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw, and this is his report of the word of God and the testimony about Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is and who always was and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ, he is faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world and all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. Can I hear an amen? Amen. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father and all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, Amen. I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. Man, I'm getting the goosebumps here. The beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit and suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It's said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Write down what you've seen, both the things that are now happening, look at this, that are now happening, that are now happening, and the things that will happen. Come on, the author in this book is John, as you've already seen. And John is a man who wrote the Gospel of First, wrote the Gospel of John, wrote First, Second, and Third John. He wrote the book of Revelations. He was the only of the original 12 disciples who was not murdered. He died in an old age. By the time he was put on the island of Patmos, he was about 80 years old. He was a beloved pastor. He was really a apostolic pastor to these seven churches. John was a man who was clearly Jesus' closest friend. He was Jesus' closest disciple, always brought in the three. 
John was there when they were called on the boat in the very beginning in John chapter 4, or Mark, Matthew chapter 4, you look it up, it's somewhere in there. John was there when Jesus did all these miracles by raising Lazarus and when he healed the sick and healed the leper. John was there when Jesus was uh, rested and put on trial. John was there with, his, John, with Jesus' mother, was the only disciple who was there at the cross and actually saw Jesus being crucified. John was there when they were buried in the grave and went fishing. John was there when they actually, the, the second, because Peter had to beat John there. John was there when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He was the second or the third person rather to be, see Jesus in an empty tomb. John was there when the, Jesus revealed himself as a resurrected Christ. John was there when he was in Acts chapter two in the upper room when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father and experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John was there when he planted churches and John was there. John touched Jesus and heard Jesus and felt Jesus and walked with Jesus, John has a little bit to say about Jesus. Now, for us to question the author is ridiculous. <laughs> this man had more of, a, of an impacting relationship with Jesus than potentially anyone that ever walked on the earth. John was a man who experienced him and felt Jesus and was near Jesus and the book of Revelations was written, and I'm going to give you a little bit of horse story, historical context to help you understand the, the theme of today's thought. The book of Revelations was written between 80, 92, and 96. And in about um, 65 to 67 AD, the emperor Nero began to persecute the church like never before. And I've mentioned this before, but there was a time when Nero set, uh, set Rome on fire because he was really upset with, the, with, with the, 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 the nation. And so he set it on fire and the Jews got really upset. So they got mad at Nero. And so Nero blamed the Christians and he blamed these fanatic group of people who were serving this resurrected Jesus. And so they brought all of these Christians before, uh, the, before the council and they murdered them and they burned them and cut them in two and fed them to lions and sawed them in two and pulled their fingernails out and cut off their heads. And they brutally, brutally persecuted the Christians in that day. And during this time was when Paul and Peter were crucified. Peter crucified upside down because he said, I am not worthy to be crucified in the same way that my Lord was crucified. So he was crucified upside down. And this was the great persecution of Nero, but several of our emperors came. Vespian began to persecute the church. And then in 92 AD, things got much, much, much worse. Domitian, the emperor, was a terrible individual, and he was insecure, very, very insecure. Eventually, he was, uh, they, they, they assassinated him because he was such a terrible, terrible emperor. But Domitian was so insecure that he ordered all of the Roman Empire to worship him as the Lord God. He changed the name of the Roman Empire to the eternal kingdom. And he required people to call him the everlasting king. And when he required for people, he did not, wasn't concerned if you had your different gods of the sun or God of the water or even this Yahweh God. He wasn't ultimately concerned, but what he wanted you to do first and foremost was to bring allegiance and worship unto Domitian, the everlasting king, he called himself. And so he sent a mandate across 
all of the Roman Empire and says, you must worship Caesar as Lord. And so he required them to do a little act of worship. All they had to do was to go into the temple. And as they were in the temple that was made to do mission, they would go into the everlasting king, do missions temple, and they would take a little bit of incense and they would throw it on the fire. And if you did that one little act of worship, you would be free to indulge on all of the blessings and the accoutrements of being part of the Roman Empire. This didn't bother a lot of people. Even in that day, many people who were professed followers of Jesus in that time began to say, listen, I don't want to give up all of my comforts. I don't want to lose my access to food and I don't want to lose, the, I don't want to lose these different benefits I have from being a part of the Roman Empire. I don't want to lose these things. And so some of the Christians begin to say, it's not that big of a deal. They begin to cast incense on the fire and call Caesar Lord, the everlasting king. And then they would go to the temple of Yahweh and worship. But to John, this was a big deal. John, who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, watched Jesus physically resurrected from the grave, watched Jesus ascend to the right hand of the Father, watch Jesus move and minister through the power of the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts, said, I will not bow down to this Caesar. I will respect him, yes, but hail him as the everlasting king and this little act of worship, no. I will not bow down before this king. So John graciously refused. And the government and Caesar saw him as a troublemaker. And what they called him was an atheist. Because if you don't believe that Domitian is the everlasting king, you are an atheist. You don't believe in God. And so they considered him a troublemaker and an atheist. And what they could have killed him on the spot. In that day, they, in that, that year, they killed 40,000 Christians alone in that one place. They murdered and beat uh, Timothy to death. Our, our young Timothy of the faith of kind sincere, quiet pastor was beaten to death for his faith. They could have killed John in a moment, but John was a patriarch of the faith and they knew that if they did that, there would be an uprising. So instead, they cast John to the island of Patmos. This 80-year-old beloved pastor was forced to manual labor until he died an age-old death 10 miles off the coast of modern-day Turkey, the Roman Empire had a rock quarry and they would send all of the enemies of the state and the atheists and the troublemakers over to this island and they would work on stones and they would break stones. And this 80-year-old man who said, I will not worship Caesar as Lord was banished to this quiet island of servitude for the rest of his life. We see that John refused to do that. John, while he was on the island of Patmos, Domitian continued his reign of terror against the church. Domitian continued to cause persecution. And John saw that the beloved churches, these seven churches that he pastored in love, were beginning to be brutally attacked by Domitian. And we see that there was pressure to conform to the emperor's worship edict. We see that Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Saris and, and, and Laodicea and Philadelphia were all now experiencing a tremendous temptation to lay down their allegiance to the one true God simply to have the comforts of a modern world. We see here John was broken and wounded by the fact that these churches were being hurt and 
and, and harassed and they were losing their businesses and some were losing their jobs and Christians were being harassed by soldiers because they weren't going to the temple to do mission first but were heading to the house of the Lord and so they were being harassed. Many were being murdered and burned alive and injured and see, even though these churches were facing tremendous persecution, do you want to know what John's greatest challenge was? It wasn't the persecution. He wasn't afraid that the people of God were being persecuted. What was happening to the church was spiritual complacency. The church began to experience complacency. They began to settle in their heart. They were no longer deciding to make Jesus alone the king of their life. Their allegiance was no longer to just Christ. It was to do mission and Christ, creating polytheism, embracing the culture that surrounded them. They began to lay their lives down and begin to make these little acts of worship to ensure that they had safety and comfort and they were confused and they were frustrated, they were discouraged, they were afraid and they were tempted to surrender their lives to the tiny little God, Domitian, who called himself the eternal king. It was a temptation to surrender their allegiance to this fake God and it kept them from experiencing all the wonderful modern realities of Rome. And then heresy began to enter the church. And people began to come and teach a gospel that was not a gospel at all. They begin to teach that Jesus was not the Jesus that was taught from the early church and the apostles' teaching. Not only that, but then they were, the, the immorality and sin began permeating the church because people were losing their foundational footing and they began to allow the cultural things that were affirming and accepting in the culture because they wanted to begin to fit in because the moment we lose our allegiance to God, we begin to serve people and not, man, not God. And all of a sudden, heresy began to enter the church and immorality began to enter the church and sexual sin began to enter the church and our affirmation of different things and perspectives that were not foundational to scripture began to enter the church. And here's John on the island of Patmos being, being completely banished to an island, feeling the weight of these churches. And that brings us today to the fundamental question as we start our journey through the book of Revelation. When challenges and persecutions and hardships and difficulties and all that life's bring, life brings at you, whom will you worship? When life is hard, when the government tries to keep us from serving God, when our neighbor tries to stop us, or family tries to stop, or little tiny mix of worship in our world today come, or when you face hardship, or when you lose someone, or things don't work out like you hope, or when life doesn't pan out like you imagine it would, or there's an offense in your life, when these things happen in your life, when the world begins to become upheavaled and things begin to change, whom will you worship? Who will your allegiance be to? Will it be to the beast? that we'll read about in this book, who offers pleasure and seductive wealth? Or will it be to the bloody, sacrificed lamb who offers an eternal life outside of this world? Who will you worship? Who will you make your decisions through? What world will create a value system for you? Will it be the value system of the kingdom of God or will it be the value system of Babylon, which in that day was Rome, which in our day is most likely Canada or the United States of America? 
who will set our value system? Who will lay the philosophies and the perspectives that we stand by? What will you live for? Will you live for the Lord? Or will you live for this world? Simple, my little mixtures of worship. See, John was given this inspiration, this revelation, when he saw that the church was going through the greatest tragedy ever, persecution, and what it caused was not ignition of faith. It caused a complacency. Whom will you serve? There's two thoughts I want to end with today. Things that I want to challenge in your radical discipleship. Number one is this. The The time is near. The time is near. That's what Jesus says right here. The time is near. Jesus himself said this when he walked on the earth. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. In the New Testament, the end. It's never as close as we think that it is, but it's also as closer than we think it is. In the book of Revelation, look what it says. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. Look at this. I am the bright and morning star. Do you know what I know what the bright morning star is? It's the first star that appears when the, when the dark has gotten its darkest and it's over. So even though that bright morning star comes out, it's a, it's a sign to all that are watching that it is now the darkest it will ever get, but the darkness is over. The darkness has ended. And even though you might have a few more hours of darkness, it is telling us the time is near. Morning is coming. It's, it's here. It's already been seen. Jesus has already been revealed. The time is near. The morning star has revealed himself. The darkness is coming at its darkest, yet it is over. The time is near. And Jesus is appearing at his greatest darkness, at the greatest darkness in our world. And you might have fear, but I want you to know today, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, yes, that will induce fear. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, the coming, the fact that the time is near does not make us afraid. It does not cause fear. You know what it does? It causes a joy and confidence and peace and love because the Spirit of God wells up within us knowing that we prevail, that the church of Jesus Christ will win that the enemy and the gates will, the gates and the enemy will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. So if you're here watching today and you say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I want to beg you. I want to implore you. Join Jesus. May I have a personal relationship with Christ because the time is near. The second thought as I end today, Jesus is coming. On the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God, I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. Now, I want you to know that this doesn't mean that Jesus will come. You need to hear this. Jesus is already coming. He's not sitting on his throne, anticipating a moment in time. It's okay, now it's time. No, no, Jesus is already coming because when Jesus breaks through into our natural world, do you know what happens to our natural world? It causes an upheaval. As God reveals himself to the world, it causes the darkness and the forces of evil to cause upheaval. So when you look at the world and say, man, is Jesus coming? He is coming. I ain't going to predict it. That ain't my job. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus is coming. And we will see that in the process of Jesus coming, things do not get better. Things get worse. But as followers of Jesus Christ, 
You get to live an abundant life amongst all that's going on. There's contentment and satisfaction and life and joy and peace and self-control. Serving God does not mean that we get to be afraid or scared. No, Jesus is coming. That means you and I get to celebrate and enjoy the realities of the life that God has for us right now. A society and a world and a culture that's crumbling should make you empathetic and compassionate knowing that these people need Jesus. Shouldn't cause fear. We have a supernatural partner to help us. Jesus wins. Whom do you serve? Come on, you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say this boldly as I can preach it. This is what the Lord told me when he started this year. Ryan, you're preaching for me, not for people. So I'm here to tell you today, if you don't know Jesus, the time is near. You may not understand all that we're going to understand, but I want to tell you today, Jesus Christ died on the cross. He rose on the third day, but guess what? This world will come to a close. Do you have a personal relationship with the living God? And will you spend in an everlasting eternal life with him in heaven? For you today. If you don't know Jesus, or you're watching online, you don't know Christ. It's very simple. That's the best part. It's not about what you've done or who you are. He loves you at, while you were an enemy of God, while you were far from God. He says, I love you right now as you are in your sin, in your brokenness. I love you like you are right now. He comes just as you are. He comes to you. And all we have to do is say, all right, Jesus, I'm going to do things your way that I confess that you are the Messiah, the Son of God that came to the earth. I confess that with my heart and with my mouth. And I believe that I want to have a personal relationship with the living God. Today, you can be saved. You can get water baptized. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can experience the abundant life in this life and in the life to come. And lastly, you can stand with me this morning. Those in the room today that are followers of Jesus, but you're complacent. Now is a better time. There's no better time than now to make a conscious decision that you're going to serve the Lord. You can't be complacent as a follower of Jesus Christ. There is radical discipleship. So where have you been complacent in your life? Where have you maybe gone by the wayside in your journey with God? It's okay. I do it all the time. I have to come back to my first love all the time. All right, Jesus. And now is your opportunity to come back to the first love once again. Let me pray for you today. Father, we acknowledge that this book, Lord, is not a book of fear, but this is a book of faith and hope. <laughs> Lord, thank you that as followers of Jesus Christ, we lose all fear and all worry and all concern about what's to come. We have nothing but joy and we celebrate, God, the wonderful things that you will do in our midst. But Father, there are so many who don't know you. Would you bring them to you today, Jesus? Would you draw all men to you, Jesus? And we pray today that there would be salvation. Those who are watching today would have salvation today. For those who are complacent in their walk with you, Lord, we come back to our first love. Would you restore the joy of our salvation today and restore a fresh fire in us as we go through this series together. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.